Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Mary Scott, and I'm about to literally jump out of my seat with excitement over today's guest. Rachel and I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Emily P. Friedman for today's episode. Ironically, Emily was a name I put down on my dream list when we first started Behind the Bliss, and it feels a bit uncanny for this to be happening today. If you follow us on Instagram, you may have seen us post a few, okay, way more than a few, of our favorite episodes from Emily's podcast, The Next Right Thing. Thankfully, for all of us who gleaned so much from her podcast, Emily wrote a book also called The Next Right Thing that releases next Tuesday, April 2nd. Rachel and I both got advanced copies of the book and we devoured it just like we do her podcast every single week. In today's episode, we talk with Emily about decision making and what it would look like for us to create space in our crazy life for our souls to breathe. So guys, without any further ado, here's our conversation with Emily P. Freeman. Hey, Emily, welcome to the show. Well, hey, I'm so glad to be here. We are so thrilled to have you. Uh, Rachel and I are huge um just fans and recipients of your work and your podcast and your books. And I was telling Rachel, actually, about 15 years ago when I started going to counseling, my counselor gave me your book, Grace for the Good Girl. So I have been just reading and soaking in your content for so many years, and this is just such a treasure to get to spend some time with you today. Oh, that's so fun. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it's so fun. And to be able to have a, a fellow podcaster on the show is always really fun because I feel like there's this underlying appreciation for all of the things that go into producing something like this for people that listen. So many things, right? So many little tiny repetitive steps and checking Amen. and making sure <laughs> that we are yes. recording. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, Emily, can you just kind of give the listener just a little bit about you, your family, your day-to-day, and all the fun things like that? I would love to. Well, I, my, I'm married to my husband, John. We've been married for about 17 years, and we have three kids. We have two twin girls who are um, 15, and our son uh, is 12. So we just entered ninth grade and sixth grade in our house. That's so a big year for middle school, high school. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I've, um, you know, I enjoy my work. I'm grateful I get to, you know, I'm a working writer and that's not something that I take for granted. So I've written uh, five books now and also host a podcast called The Next Right Thing. And um, I'm also the co-founder of a membership site for writers called Hope Writers. We've been doing that a little over three years. And it's funny, it sounds like a lot of different things, but in fact, all of the things that I sort of do day to day with my work fall under the umbrella of um, really standing at the intersection. That's two metaphors. I'm mixing my metaphors here, but I really <laughs> love to stand at the intersection of faith and creativity. And so sometimes that looks like writing and sometimes that looks like parenting. And I think integrating um, my life or in our lives and encouraging others to do the same um, by simply doing the next right thing has been such a joy and a pleasure to be able to, um, you know, sort of make my work an expression of my life with God in many ways. So I'm really grateful for that. 
We are grateful for it too. We both are listeners of your podcast, The Next Right Thing. Will you tell us a little bit about that and your heart behind it and how it was birthed? You know, The Next Right Thing podcast started out as a book in my mind, and I was trying to, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to make something be something that it doesn't want to be. It's like trying to put a toddler to bed. (laughs) Yes. That's how it felt. And I I had this idea, and I thought it was a good one, which was basically how aware we are of... um, of God and of ourselves when we have an unmade decision. And I was just fascinated by, um, and just privately fascinated. I didn't necessarily talk about it with people, but I noticed how when I was carrying an unmade decision, it affected everything. It made me pay more attention in my conversations. I paid closer attention at church. I took better notes when I was reading and just really was aware of the decision-making process for quite some time. And I thought, well, this man, this is a, this is a pathway of spiritual formation when we are carrying around a big decision or even sometimes those small daily decisions. And so I just started jotting down notes. Like I do, I usually, with every one of my books, I've had like a, like a million little ways, for example, I called it the art book just for years. It was the art book. And I would take notes. Um, and then grace for the good girl was the good girl book, you know, and, and this was the decision book. And so I would just make notes in my, in my bullet journal. I would, I would always mark it with, um, decision or D, you know, next to it. And, and that was sort of what I carried around for a while. But when I sat down to try to out, I was like one January, I sat down, I was like, I'm going to write, I'm going to outline this book. And cause that's what I do. And y'all, it was not cooperating. And it was super <laughs> frustrating because I thought Round this is peg, not square hole. So much. And it wasn't coming out the way my other books did. And as a writer, I was kind of afraid. I was honestly a little scared like, oh, okay, well, that was, fu- that was a fun run. I wrote books and now I'm done. I will never write another book because I, I've forgotten how. And right. I heard Lisa Turkhurst once say, she's written many, many books, mm-hmm. but I once heard her say after like 15 books or something, she was like, I might be exaggerating. I don't know how many books she's written, but it's a lot. Well, she said after one of them, she said, um, you know, this, every book I approach, like it's the first book because I've never written this book before. Mm-hmm. So it always feels yes. like a first time book. And yeah. man, that I held on to that because- when I was working on what I thought was a decisions book and it wasn't coming out as a book, um, that was a discouraging place. But what I discovered was rather than it coming out like a narrative arc, you know, like a beginning, middle and end, it kept coming out more like episodes. But I didn't think of it as a podcast. I just thought of it as this is a weird book. It's coming out in sound bites, <laughs> and it's yeah. just like little yeah. thoughts. Well, I would say it's so interesting. I've literally listened to every single episode you've ever put out because oh I, I, well, they're so easy and they're short, which is the best part about them. And I feel like you don't really give people answers. You more just like set like almost fertile, so- fertile soil for our minds and our heart to do the work. Um, and I'm so grateful for the way you've designed it and the way you've designed the book. You know, we've had the privilege to kind of see an advanced copy of your book. And I love how the same format is similar and how you just guide us through, you know, a very, you know, I would say very calming um, story or a funny story. And then you always bring it back to unmade decisions. And so I just, I love the way that it's become a podcast and it's so easily digestible. Um, and I'm, I'm just grateful that the the first round of the book didn't work out because now you have over <laughs> 2 million people who are making great decisions. Um, what would you say is like, like probably you felt this way before you dove into this topic more, but what do you find that most people do wrong in their decision-making process? Well, I, 
I don't even know if it's an action that's wrong, but I do think there's a mindset that is hurtful to us mm-hmm. in our decision-making process. And I think that we have a a real obsession with um, making the right decision. And while I know I talk about the next right thing, um, I think there that's a lot more accessible um, than the next right decision, you mm-hmm. know? So when you think about doing the next right thing, it's much more, it's easier to discern what is my next right thing right now than it is to look at a huge decision and and carry around the burden of feeling like you're going to make this big mistake that you're going to regret forever. Yes, yes. And so I think I have been compelled to lead people um, or to try to do this, to, to lead people into a place where um, we remember that as my friend Jim, James Bryan Smith says this, that that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And when we remember where whose we are and where we live, then the pressure to make the right decision kind of falls away, and we are freed up to just do our next right thing and trust that our friend Jesus is going to go with us no matter what we choose. I think God is so much less concerned about um, if we go right or left, you know, when it comes to things that are within our our choice. Um, I just, I think I used to think growing up that like there was this perfect exact path that he's laid out and he's going to keep it a secret for me. And I have to figure out or guess or be a really good girl to make it, to get on the right path. And Mm. I I don't know, I guess maybe we've all been fed that to some degree, but I just think our father is more loving than that. I mean, I would never have a plan for my kids and then not tell them what it is and, and, but know it myself and then try to trick them to make them have to try to figure it out, you know? And I think the ways we talk about God, um, Dallas Willard says, never believe anything bad about God. And so when we talk about him, like he pulled the rug out from under me or God really, you know, kicked me around or God. And I'm like, eh, I don't know that my father does that. I, I don't see him doing that um, right. in my life. So I think that that is maybe if you talk about what is it that people are doing, I think that um, holding on to the the right or wrong and the I'm going to mess this up um, and really wearing our own crown in our everyday life rather than taking our crown off in God's presence and trusting, you know, he's going to lead me in this and I can trust it. Oh, I love it because I, I, I am the girl that gets so overwhelmed with my destination that I get so paralyzed, I can't even take a step. And I think that's the difference is your decision is your destination. Your next right thing is just the next step you have to take. And there's always going to be bunny trails and detours Mm -hmm. and all these things that feel like you're not going in the right direction, but you might be taking your next right step and the next right thing. I think this is just, yeah, it's perfect. And I think that just releases a load of grace to people that really need grace and might not know what that is. So uh, yeah, just thank you. It's amazing. Um, and then what you were saying about we really make our decisions based off of what we believe about God is so true. And Mary Scott and I were both moved by um, this one particular part in your book, The Next Right Thing, which came obviously from podcasts and making these episodes into written stories on pages. Um, there's this one part on page 47 where there is a list of if you believe this is about God, then you will be blank. And it was so powerful to put theology with 
practical things that that follow through with based on what you believe about God. And I, I just was so powerful. Um, a few just for listeners listening. Um, if we believe God is mad at us, we will be afraid of making a wrong move for fear that he will snap. Or if we believe God is distant, we will move alone and untethered in our decision making. If we believe God is a scolding parent, we may delegate decisions to someone else so we can avoid the consequences. And I mean, you're reading my mail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm getting found out. Well, and at the end of the day, we might not actually say that we believe those things about God, but internally we're still acting as if we do. And so it's just crazy how much our theology impacts our day-to-day decision-making. It's so crazy. And if we believed and remained anchored to the unchanging character of God, it would be so much easier to just move about our days. And I'm so I'm so thankful you brought that point out because I don't think that is something that is so easily noticed on the surface. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I often I'm I quote really the best things I say are quotes from other people. So oh <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Too. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, we love it, <laughs> but I just like to bring back the old truths. But Dallas Willard talks about how every single one of us we always live what we believe. We just don't always live what we profess we believe. And so I think walking with Jesus is really a practice of our profession and our actual belief lining up. And so it's just like you said, we would never say, oh, I believe that God is indifferent, um, but I might feel that he really doesn't care what happens one way or the other. And so why do I even pray about my decisions? Because what difference is it going to make? And I might, I would never say that at my small group, but I might feel that on the inside. So I wouldn't profess it, but I would live like that's true. And that you're right. Our theology um, is very practical in our everyday life. Absolutely. Well, one topic that I just think is really crucial for the decision maker in our day to day, I know like, honestly, so many people are tackling the decision making topic, like, okay, make your pro con list. Um, Here's how you make a Venn diagram and decide all the things. And we, I think, and I think that you're onto this. It's like we've taken our soul out of the equation um, when it comes to our decision making and what really affects us and is the best, you know, next right thing for us to do in love. And so, you talk a lot about the idea of a soul minimalist, and I love what you say about that in the episode "Soul Minimalist" and also in the in the chapter. But you said becoming a soul minimalist doesn't mean that you should hold on to nothing, but rather that nothing should hold on to you. And I would just love for you to dive in a little bit about just the idea of becoming a soul minimalist and how our soul and our, um, you know, whether we've dealt with the input and output of our soul and whether we have it affects our day-to-day decision-making. When you think about minimalism, and I know that like that Marie Kondo show just came out recently on it Netflix. It is so good. Yes, oh it's so gosh. good. It's so addictive. And we are she, obsessed at the Audrey right? household. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's fascinating because there is such a, um, especially in the, you know, the new year and the, and the springtime, you know, it's like spring cleaning and let's get it all out. And we do have this sort of rhythm of life in some ways of um, we bring stuff into our homes, our actual physical homes all the time. And we have a regular practice of that. We wouldn't call it a practice because it's just our life and we all, that's what we do. Um, but we're always bringing in, if we have kids, we bring in their school projects and we bring in their book bags and we bring in presents at Christmas and birthdays and, and shopping and all the things come in. But what we, many of us, 
and maybe, you know, Marie Kondo is different, but many of us don't have a regular practice of output. So that's why we, you know, spend a whole Saturday cleaning out the attic or cleaning out the garage or, you know, where that's when we lose our cool with the kids and like, we've got to clean these rooms and we give them trash bags after three months because, you know, their rooms are trash and they have to be cleaned out because we have to get this clutter out of the way. And as I tend to do, I was, uh, I, I tend to always like bring it to the soul level because I feel like that's my job <laughs> as a writer, as a human, I'm just always paying attention. And when I was listening to um, Joshua Becker, who has a blog called Becoming Minimalist, he talked about this process of we always have input, but where's the regular output in our homes? And I thought about how that relates to our soul and how we always have input into our soul through our eyes, through our ears. Um, we're always paying attention to what's happening. And we might not even consciously be paying attention, but we're still taking in, um, some of us more than others, but we're taking in the realities around us, both perceived and the actual realities of how people perceive us, of how we are received in a room, of a conversation with our spouse that morning, um, a fight we might've had with a sister or a sibling or whoever. And there's always these interactions. And those interactions are sticky on the level of our soul and they come in and they hang around. And that's why you can have a day and you're going through and you've got all your errands. And at the end of the day, everybody gets home and you're making dinner and somebody needs something and you just kind of snap. It's because you've had a lot of input that day, but you haven't had any output. And that's not necessarily your fault. That's just life, right? And so the idea of becoming a soul minimalist is is taking the time to have to to output some of that input on purpose. And for me what that looks like is simply a practice of stillness, of solitude, of silence, not necessarily all of that at the same time or in even long periods of time. Um but it can be in spurts, it can be in 5 minutes here. One of my favorite um people who talks about decluttering is a slob comes clean. Do you know her blog? She no. writes. No. She has a book called "Decluttering at the Speed of Life." Okay, and I'll look that up. It's a great book. I'm halfway through it. I'm listening to the audiobook. But she talks about decluttering um, in like five and ten minute spurts in your house, like your actual house, like you know how that can build up over time. Because she says that a lot of us, like if we think we have to, you know this is the week of decluttering. You know, we're never going to do it because it's too overwhelming. But if you do it a little bit at a time, it's more manageable. Well, the same is true for um, uh, embracing a life of soul minimalism uh, because we have to, I mean, in our everyday lives, let's face it, like we don't necessarily have five hours that we can take and have this silent retreat. You know, that's great to do once a year, maybe if you can, but, um, on the daily, I think those five and 10 minute, um, decluttering of the soul moments, some people would call that prayer. Some people would call that, um, silence. Some people would call that, um, moving, taking a walk with God. I call them daily calm downs. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. sort of like, I'm going to choose a daily calm down. Some would call it a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice or a rhythm of life. But I think that, um, embracing, choosing something for a little bit of time that will get us in God's presence on purpose so that we can offload so that we can, as I think it's Eugene Peterson who talks about traveling lightly so we can travel lightly. Um, that makes a big difference as especially when it comes time to make a big decision, because there's nothing worse than to have to dig down through a bunch of soul clutter to get to the heart of the matter when you have a big decision to make. 
It's so true. I almost picture like if we're going on our prayer walks with God or whatever, it's like we're handing off whatever burden we're carrying and placing it in his hands and like walking back to our life and feeling like we're walking more free. I love that so much. Yes. Well, Emily, you've said, you've said before that you learned a lot about just like taking next steps by just looking at the life of Jesus in the gospel. What was that like? And what are some like examples of what you've seen just Jesus do and taking the next right step in his life while he was on earth? Well, it's interesting when you pay attention, like if you want to know, well, how did Jesus make decisions? You know, what was his process like? Um, You know, don't you wish you could just turn to it? Well, in Matthew three, we see the path of making decisions and this is what you do. Number one, two, three. That's not how he lived his life. Y'all he, when you pay attention, he was a next right thing kind of guy. And, uh, you know, he would like when he, for example, when he um, was walking in the city and it was very crowded and he, and then the Jairus came to him and said, my daughter is dying. I need you to come. And he started to come. And then the bleeding woman, you remember, this is when she was in the crowd and she touches clove yes. and he turned around. I mean, really, I would say his next right thing was to go heal the person who was dying, mm-hmm. not the person who had been sick for 12 years. And she was going to be okay for another 10 minutes. Like she's going to be fine. Um, but he just doesn't triage that way. And so he turned and took a moment and spent time with this woman. And he he said that her faith made her well. And, and, and the fact that he then turned and then he went to the daughter. And that seemed like the wrong thing to do, if you're asking me. But when he did finally, you know, it was just a few people in the room and he touched the daughter and he brought her back to life. And then I think about those parents. I can't help, but, you know, I have daughters and I think about the parents who, you know, their young girl had died and now she was back to life. And I just can't imagine how wide their eyes must've been, how open their hearts were to hear from God in their home. What an opportunity for God to then say to, to those parents, all right, now here's what I want you to plant. How's how I want her life to go. This is why I saved her life. This is what she's going to do in her life to honor me and bring me glory. It could have been for good things, but what he said to those parents was now give her something to eat. And that was profound to me because I think in my mind, what a missed opportunity. These people were ready. They would have done anything because they were so grateful. But all Jesus said was, give her lunch. And y'all, that's what we do every day. We're making lunch. We're making the dinner. We're doing all the regular things, our next right things. And we can be tempted to think those don't count. But in fact, that was the directive that Jesus gave to these parents in a moment when he could have said anything. I think that's something to pay attention to. And so this next right thing mindset is in so many ways, this next right thing mindset is in so many ways, really, um, saving my life one moment at a time because it keeps me now. It keeps me in the present place. I just don't see Jesus running off ahead and, and um, you know, flinging people into the emotional future. He just kind of stayed here and yes. kept things pretty practical for most of his ministry. That's so interesting also that you say that too, because I wonder how many of us are missing opportunities for the small next right steps in our life because we're so busy at chasing, I guess, what we might seem or think are seemingly bigger next right steps to do, but we haven't allowed even to space, not only in our souls, but in our calendar and in our day to day to even ask like, God, what is my next right step in this moment to help my neighbor or 
you know, to help me, whether it's going to get another cup of coffee or eating myself, you know, um, that we've just gotten so consumed in, in taking bigger and next right steps that we forget about creating space for the seemingly smaller ones. So I think that was a huge, that's such a great point that I think so many of us miss. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, it really takes the pressure off because there's such a temptation um, to think that we have to have a a five-year plan. And man, I, I just, the, the older I get, I'm not too old, but I'm not super young either. And the older I get, the the less appealing a five-year plan really seems, you know, and it's like, what's today's plan? That feels a little more manageable. And I think too, what stresses most people out when they're making decisions is, I mean, this decision, decision A is beautiful and it will be, bring me to a beautiful life, but also so will decision B and maybe decision C. And so which one do I pick? And Lord, where are you? And it just, it gets so confusing because they are all are so beautiful. And so um, how would you encourage people to move forward and decide between a good decision and the best decision? It's a great question. And I would say that it could be a myth that one is better than another. So maybe one point of advice would be to perhaps release the pressure of there being a best decision, especially when it comes to two good things or three good things or 10 good things. I would encourage someone to maybe just pick what you like and then see how it grows. That's a phrase that came to me while I was literally at the garden center, (laughs) feeling like I wanted to buy some pretty plants, like lots of pretty plants. (laughs) And this is super practical, but it's like, these are all so pretty. And I was so motivated to come here and I was going to buy all the plants and I was going to be a plant lady. And then I get to the garden center and I didn't know what to choose. And I felt paralyzed because I'm like, well, I'm going to, I can't, I'm not a plant person, you know, with the labels we put on ourselves. Well, I'm, I kill plants. And I just was kind of embarrassingly frustrated and overwhelmed. And what I had, something I had looked forward to coming to the garden center and getting plants for my home has now become um, a a source of frustration and disappointment. And man, isn't it sometimes those little decisions that mirror how we make big decisions in our life because we feel this pressure. And so while I was standing there, y'all, and I can't explain it and I won't over-spiritualize it, but I do feel like in a moment I had this thought that came in my own voice, but it didn't feel like my idea. And the phrase was, pick what you like, then see how it grows. And so it really freed me up to just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to just say that's you. And I'm going to say that you're just giving me permission here in this place where everything is good to pick what I like and then to see how it grows. And if it doesn't grow, then now I've learned something, but it wasn't a waste. And how might I then move into my actual life and things that actually, you know, make a difference in my life, not just plants, but maybe, you know, relationship decisions or ministry or vocational decisions. Maybe there are two good things I'm trying to discern between. And God is saying, pick what you like and see how it grows and and understand that you're going to be okay because you live in my kingdom and the kingdom is not in trouble. Right. Well, I even, going back to the over-spiritualizing thing, (laughs) I think sometimes I almost over-spiritualize all decisions. So I have to choose the hardest one or the one that might grow me most in my faith or whatever. But (laughs) what if God was just kind enough to let me pick what I liked, but maybe he even put what I liked in my heart on purpose, you know? It's just, we get in our own way so much. 
Yeah, it's so true. It's like, you know, if God wanted to lead us a certain way, how might he be able to do that? I don't think it would be through trickery and through, you know, shadows and, you know, weird tricks. You know, he wouldn't, he's not a trickster. He's not trying to hide something from us and just see if we can get it right. And I think that we forget that sometimes. So it is, it's like, no, this is a, I have to choose the hard one because otherwise I'm not being, I'm not in God's will. (laughs) And maybe sometimes we do choose the hard one, but that's, it's not, it's not right just by essence, just because it's hard, you know, that's not really how it works. Totally. One of my, uh, I think one of my favorite practices that you've introduced in the whole next right thing concept in both the book and the podcast are prayers and benedictions and practices. And what was like, what was your journey in coming to the place of like, I can just declare right now a simple benediction over my day and over my life, um, that God can like, it's almost like an invitation for God to come in. And what, what was it like for you and how have these prayers and practices helped you in your, in your decision-making process? You know, that started sort of writing these short prayers and benedictions or blessings or different, you know, different forms of prayer that started years and years ago on my blog. Actually, I used to write and I still do a weekend um, email, but it used to be straight on the blog. I would do these for your weekend um, little blessings and I would write and I always wanted to keep it relevant to sort of the season um, and maybe even what I was kind of going through at that time. Um, But, and I always wanted to keep them really short. And so I would just write a, a couple of lines. And honestly, I felt kind of silly at first because I thought, uh, this is just for me, and why am I putting this out there? But, but there was something really powerful about about um, choosing words that I knew would be received by someone else. So therefore, it had to be clear, and it had to be compelling in some way, but also true. And there was it was like a little practice for me of risking um, just writing a, a short little prayer and then sharing it, hopefully with a reader who would then receive it and and join in the prayer because. There's something powerful about prayer when it's done more by more than just me, you know, by more than just one person. And so that's kind of how it started. And it, and it was just kind of my own little thing. And then, um, and it's, I've been grateful to sort of now integrate that practice into the podcast episodes. I always try to have each episode has a, you know, a, a reflection or a story and then um, a, some type of prayer at the end or a thoughtful something that I'm leading someone through some questions or something like that. But I, I do think that, um, that is a great practice for me to, to slow me down. I think sometimes people are surprised to know, because I do talk about, you know, soul minimalism and slowing and being still, and then people are surprised to learn that's really hard for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It's not like this natural thing. It's something that I'm learning and having to really pay attention to, um, and practice, but I think writing them down helps, always has helped me writing anything down, always helps it feel less um, disembodied, I don't know, and and a little more, okay, I'm going to hold on to this because here it is, I see those words and now I'm going to repeat them and there, that's a thing that I can hold on to. Totally. It's like you you just take us by the hand and you lead us through like, oh, it's actually not that hard talking to God and here's how I do it and here's some words for you to join me in that. So I love that you just provides such an amazing resource for us to commune with God. And that's the way your art is intersecting with your faith. And it's just beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for that. 
Sometimes I call myself a prayer moocher <laughs> because I'll hear someone else's prayer. And I'm like, that, that was good. beautiful. And I'll get stuck in my own lingo or my own verbiage. And I'm like, some, I just feel like I need something new. And so that, that for what you do for me is so beautiful because I'm like, yes, opening up a whole new dictionary of terms and words and things that my heart feels, but I haven't been able to find the word to express it. And I don't need to find the word to express it. The Lord knows exactly what's in my heart. Yeah. But I think for me, being able to put my heart into words is so beautiful. So I'm a prayer moocher. When I hear the right thing, I say, yes, amen, me too. Copy that, <laughs> paste into my life. <laughs> that is an ancient practice, really. I mean, the, the concept of borrowed prayers is something that we probably don't do enough of. So I commend you on the, the prayer moocherness because you. it really is. I mean, if you look at the Book of Common Prayer, like people all over the world for many, many years have been, you know, saying and repeating these same, like a liturgy, these same words. And it's really beautiful. And I love the idea of us hearing someone be able to articulate something that we can't quite grab hold of. Um, but what a gift to be able to say, yeah, me too. And mm -hmm. piggyback on that. And yes. amen. Hallelujah. Yes. And that's what we're all about around here is the Me Too moments. So you bring so many Me Too moments to life for me. So I'm so appreciative. One thing also I want people to know, because we're talking so much about the podcast, but this podcast has come to fruition now into a book, a cover to cover amazing book that um, is also called The Next Right Thing. And what if people were to pick up your book and start reading it? What's one thing that you wish that they would take away from it? Well, I think, first of all, it's my first hardcover book, which is really fun. And I don't yeah, know what that's going to be, be beautiful. like. I think it's going to be a really, it's a really lovely giftable book too. But um, so I think it'll be a little heavier maybe than my other ones when they actually pick it up. <laughs> but I think I would love, what would make me so happy? And, and I feel like, yes, that it worked then is if someone who is in the midst of a, of a life decision, a decision that they're struggling with, that maybe they are looking, they've made the list, they've Googled how to make a decision and they've not quite, quite found what they're looking for, but they're able to pick up this book and find some, a really soulful, but practical mm -hmm. path mm -hmm. to t make a decision that feels like them, not a decision that's right or a decision that society says is what you should do, but something that with their friend Jesus, they can discern their next right thing in love without any voices determining what is best, except for uh, the ones that really matter. I think that process of clearing the clutter, naming the unnamed things, and doing our next right thing in love, that is a powerful life rhythm. And if when they put the book down, um, yes, I would love it if that decision was made, but more, I would love it if they have now begun the journey of building a lifestyle that supports soulful decision-making for the rest of their lives. That mm. would be something. Well, I hope that this little book can do all that. We'll see. <laughs> well, I think it can, and it's doing it in my life. I know it's doing it in Rachel's life too. I just also want to just thank you because I feel like we're in a time in our culture, and maybe you have seen it, maybe you haven't, where we're in like this like um, – not like yelling hustle, mm -hmm. but kind of just like a, just get up and do it and <laughs> you got it and you're a warrior. And it's just so refreshing to have you be a complete antonym to that in my mind of like, no, like just, it's almost like you're just grabbing my hand and you're pointing me to the Lord and you're almost giving me a little mini counseling session in my day and giving me the tools I need to be equipped to do something in such a way that's calm and it's peaceful and it's lovely and it's not rushed or, uh, 
causing me like uh, my blood pressure to rise. And it's just, <laughs> I'm just so thankful because I don't think that is a norm in our day. And I just, I, I tell everyone, I'm like, everyone needs to listen to the next right thing because it's just a breath in my day. And I think you've given us such a breath of, in our day and giving us the total like you know, we get to flex our faith muscles and our soulful moments just because of the idea that you're introducing. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful. So we're just, we're just beyond excited for this book to come out and for everyone to just feel more equipped to make soulful decisions in their day to day. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. And the whole, you know, I've always had in my work, when I've written on the blog, I've written on the blog now for um, I don't know, over a decade, 12 years, I think. And my tagline there has always been um, creating space for your soul to breathe. And it's only been in the last couple of years now that it's that I've added to it. And this isn't anywhere necessarily on this on the site, but in my mind, I've added to it so that you can discern your next right thing in love. Because it's one thing to create the space, but then once you have the space, now what? And I do think there is that second half now, and maybe as I enter into the second half of my life, that that um, space is now you know, learning. We've created space for our soul. And I love hearing that that's been happening for you. Um, but then why do we do that? It's so that we can walk and live a life um, with the people who we love and becoming more fully ourselves in the process. It's so beautiful. And P.S. Radio voice on point. Every time I push play, I'm like, yes, this is amazing. It, you're so easy to listen to. So we are grateful. Um, oh, I'm so glad. That's yeah, funny. we are. Yeah. Well, it's funny. One time Thomas caught me listening, not caught me. There's nothing wrong with it to a podcast in the car. <laughs> but here's the point. In my driveway, like I hadn't gone into the house. I'd been parked for 15 minutes. I was finishing an episode and he pops his head out of the front door and kind of looks at me like, what are you doing? And he comes over to the car and he opens the passenger door and kind of just stops. And I think he just entered this like mesmerizing <laughs> zone with me. I couldn't push pause. And he just looked at me. He said, this is waxing. I said, exactly why I'm sitting here. It is. It is. Emily, I don't know if it was like a few Christmases or maybe it came out with one of your books, but you did – Similar practice. It was like five minute. I'm I'm so sorry that I don't remember what it's called, but I did it. It was like five minute practices where you would just like kind of lead us into a quiet meditation. Yeah. <laughs> My husband and I did it, and it was like our favorite thing. He would lay on the floor and cross his arms over his chest <laughs> and just listen to you talk. <laughs> I love it. And it's true. You are so good at just like bringing peace. So thank you. If anything, you bring so much peace into all these people's lives. Um, oh my gosh. It's such a it's such a fun thing to hear because when I was younger, I always wished that I was a singer. Like I thought, oh, if I could just sing and have this beautiful singing voice. And I mean, I can carry a tune and harmonize. It's fine. But, you know, no one's going to hire me to sing <laughs> like, or, or even invite me to do it for free. Like that's not, it's not something I do, but there is, it's almost like a little kindness from God to say, you know, you're going to use your voice and it's not going to be in the way that mm -hmm. you want to or think, but, um, it's going to come out and it's going to be, um, audible. And so it's been kind of a sweet gift that like, I still, I'm using my voice. It's just different than I thought it would be. So I'm grateful for we that. We are grateful too. 
we'll switch gears just a little bit. We love to end our show um, just talking to our guests and asking them, you know, what are they reading right now? What are you loving? Just anything that you just can't get enough of in your life right now. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'm in grad school, so everything I'm I'm reading a lot of textbooks <laughs> uh-uh. right now. Um, I know what is wrong. What am, what am I? Why did I do this? But no, I'm kidding. I'm glad I'm doing it. But um, but I will say one of my favorite books. I'm not reading it right now, but I do try to. I do return to it frequently was a, a, a book I had to read actually for school. And it was a book by Nowen, Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus. Um, such a great book. It's a little tiny, like you can read it fast, but it's like, oh, I need to read this on the weekly. Super, super great. Um, but then also something I'm loving, John and I, my husband, John and I just finished um, the last season that's been, that's aired of Poldark. Um, and it, oh, it's yeah. so we watched good. it too. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm a huge BBC girl. BBC, I love them. Right? It's all so good. Why do they make such great TV? I do not understand, but I'm here <laughs> for it. So, yeah. So now oh. John and I always are like, tent right, tent fair, tent fit, tent proper, like the servants <laughs> I'm lost. Say. I feel so excluded. Oh, you need to go watch it, Rachel. <laughs> it is so good. Tent, yeah, if you're tent, like uh-huh. a Downton Abbey yeah, it was or like Call the, the Midwife, yes, all it fills those. that okay. vacancy. Yeah, for sure. Then I'm there. Then I'm there. Do it. <laughs> so good. Well, Emily, we are just so grateful for your time and we can't wait for all the people to get their hands on this book. And honestly, if you're listening now and you don't have Emily's book and you've pre-ordered it and you're waiting for it to come, just go listen to her podcast and join the 2 million or whoever, however many number of people are making their next right steps in love. And we're just so grateful for your time in this message. Thanks y'all so much. I don't know about y'all, but Emily just rocked my world. She had so much insight as far as freeing up yourself, being a soul minimalist, and redefining who God truly is in our lives so that we can live out our lives fully, believing that he is good and his truths are true. You can find everything that we talked about today in our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. Yes, and this includes a link to pre-order Emily's new book, The Next Right Thing. If you love today's podcast, I think it's safe to say you love the book too. If you love today's episode and you are enjoying the Behind the Bliss podcast, we would love for you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It's super quick to leave a review. All you'll do is click the star rating that you would want to rate our show and add a note if you do feel so inclined. Mary Scott and I read through all of them and we are always so encouraged and we can't help but just giggle at what the Lord is doing. Your kind words mean the most to us. We'd also love for you to join our Behind the Bliss community over on Instagram at Behind the Bliss Podcast. There you'll find snippets of our shows, posts of encouragement, behind the scenes content, and much, much more. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we will see you next time. This episode is sponsored by Dylan Murphy Nutrition. You guys may remember Dylan from episode 26 when we talked about ditching diets and loving our bodies better. Dylan recently developed a boot camp for all of us gals who are sick and tired of struggling with food drama and body image issues. This boot camp would be perfect for you if you want to say goodbye to cravings and mixed food messages and say hello to tasty recipes full of variety. You want to feel confident and energized. You want to give diet culture the boot. You want to create a lasting change in your health. You are tired of the endless cycle of dieting and you don't want to break the bank with your grocery bills. The boot camp includes four weeks of live calls with Dylan, 
four weeks of recipes, meal plans, grocery lists, and prep guides, Dylan Murphy exclusive recipes, weekly challenges and prizes, and lots of free PDF downloads and a private Facebook group. Now here's where the good news gets better, guys. If you use the promo code BTB50, you'll get $50 off the boot camp. You can find more information on our show notes and at dylanmurphynutrition.com forward slash join.